Welcome to the Continuous Delivery Podcast. My name is Zarar. I'm Chaba. I'm Cheesy. And I'm Hino. Prior to this podcast, we discussed talking about how to start a team. And we tried not to use the word sprint zero because it implies scrum. But let's go with sprint zero because that's sort of become the nomenclature on how you get a brand new team together uh, or, or, or the time when you get a brand new team together and you embark on a journey to delivering some sort of feature or product of some sort. What are some of the things that you have to keep in mind when you are kicking off a brand new team and starting what might be called a sprint zero? What are some best practices that you can share on getting a team going that has never worked together right off the bat? One of the goals of sprint zero is to get a development team as fast as possible to the point that they can start delivering value. And uh, in that particular case, whatever they have to do from like installing their their machines, setting up their repositories, uh, and of course, starting conversation with the business and with their product owner of what they need to do. The, the assumption is that by the end of Sprint Zero, the development team can start start writing code. I would love to see the team actually deliver something to production as they're they're getting ready, even if that thing doesn't do anything, you know, even if it has no behavior. Because I think the process of, you know, setting up the pipeline, getting whatever they had to get in place in order to take code all the way to production is incredibly value and a great learning experience for the team. I would agree with that as well. We're trying to get to production as fast as possible to basically cut through all of those layers and all of those decisions that we need to cut through in a, in a regular situation. The focus should be, well, well, I mean, there's two kinds of focuses. It kind of depends on what you look at when, you, when you're setting up a team, whether the focus is on learning. So how do we, how do we get the team up to speed in its new environment? How do we get the team learn from one another, know who they're working with on the same team? But also, how do we just set ourselves up as to to be able to be productive from the second week onwards? I see that those two uh, objectives uh, might uh, might be at the the reason why you want to have a sprint zero or an iteration zero or a bootstrapping period or whatever you want to call it. You probably will uncover a lot of learnings, not just about your teammates and, and what their behaviors might be or or what their strong or weak points are, but also about the organization, because you're probably, you know, some some of you may be new to the company or new to the organization. And there's a lot of things about how the organizational works that can get uncovered uh, during a sprint zero. Right. And it's really the only way to, to deal with those assumptions. It's the only way to know, are we indeed ready in the second iteration, the second sprint to start working on something more useful? Well, we are if we can put that first piece into uh, into production then we know for sure that we are. From a product management perspective, are there any to-dos that you've seen team accomplish in, the, in, in that first iteration that they're together? I would say uh, define your, your as thin slice as possible that's going to give you some kind of learning, like focusing on learning and, and getting to that, uh, that point that, that can get any kind of feedback. I would add to, their, to, to that the exact opposite, actually. Not not just that we, well, I know not not just that we we shouldn't have that thin slice. That thin slice is really important, but it's also important to spend that time 
on aligning on what that vision is. Why are you there as a team? Or why are you there in the first place? So what is it that you're trying to achieve? And that thin slice, that thin slice needs to indeed fit within that larger vision, within that uh, larger objective. The one thing that I would also add to that is uh, that this is also the time whenever the product folks, the product owner, product manager, manager, whatever, really needs to immerse the team in the domain as well. So try to help the team understand what it is that we're building, why the end users will benefit from this, start to help them empathize with the end customer as well. So uh, I think that's, that's a really critical thing that happened right up front. Are there effective ways of doing that? Because that is a pretty big gap, especially if you're hiring a lot of contractors. You know, it's, it's, it's a gig for them, probably six to 12 months or whatever it is, and they move on. How do you actually get somebody who's used to kind of moving around and actually, cheesy, as you said, immerse themselves in the business? Like, well, what are some techniques we can use to, uh, uh, to do that? Uh, one thing that I've seen used in the past is send them out to experience the customer's pain points. So, for example, depending on, on what it is, how can we get the developers to wear the same shoes as the customer, whether that be going through the same thing or going out and, and observing how they interact? You know, so it's, it's more kind of like a almost form of, of anthropology, almost where, where you're trying to put yourself in that customer's position or understand what they're going through. Yeah, a day in the life of, right? Yes. Yeah, Cheesy, you, you raise an amazing point. One of One of my clients actually... What they did is when they had focus groups, and of course, this, is, this was way before COVID, actually brought like in a rotating way, one or two developers to these focus groups. So when they were conducting them, so the developers would see how the how the uh, their potential clients or future clients would interact with their prototypes or with their with their product. So maybe a field trip or a go see it or something like that, you know, during that that initial coming together of the team would be very valuable. Yeah, in some situations, it's not always possible. Of course, right? This this is this is sometimes very difficult. Um, also, when you're making software for users who are everywhere, not just for business users who you might immediately have access to, it becomes a tiny bit harder, um, or, or maybe easier if if a user can be absolutely everyone. Then then you, why would you as well not be able to uh, to be one of those users who benefits from those services? But in situations where it's not entirely possible, uh, I've seen uh, effective use of presentations or showing what what certain results are that an organization is is uh, is achieving, um, what the numbers are, or what at least the objectives are that that organization wants to chase, and um, and why they would want to chase that. The assumption busting game was something which was uh, the first time I had facilitated it. It was basically getting the team, uh, splitting the team up into pairs of two or three. Uh, so you had like three or four groups. And then you asked them, go and sketch out the product interface that we are building. So go sketch out what the UI might look like based on what you know, uh, what uh, you know, who the user might be, how they might use it, what the use cases are. And it took about 15 minutes for each group to come up with, with their finished sketch of the product that they think they were working on. And then when they all shared their findings, it all, it all revealed that they had different understanding of what they were each building. But because they were able to articulate that using a drawing or a sketch or basically a UI, which everybody uses. So it was, it was a nice way to actually quickly and visually align a bunch of people together who were 
who had uh, hidden assumptions about the product that they were building. It's kind of like the marshmallow game, but applied in in real life. There, there's actually a game that does exactly that as well. It's called Product Box. And what it what it really in, encourages you to do as a team is to is to build kind of a box that you would set in, in a grocery store in the aisle, basically that you would would offer for uh, for sale, and it would uh, contain things like a title, things like uh, what do you need to watch out for, or disclaimers, if you will, of your product uh, to target audience and so forth. One activity that uh, that I always um, uh, try to run with uh, with new teams. Something like uh, what I call my worst nightmare or, or pessimistic day. And, uh, and the, the, the goal there is to address early risks. And, uh, and this could be run from, from two different perspectives. One from the product perspective, like what's my worst nightmare of what's going to happen to this, to this product or what we are trying to build. And the other one is, and again, driving out product risks. The other one is uh, my worst nightmare of what could happen to us as a team. But the idea again here is that try to, to, uh, to come up with these early risks and then this could inform when you're building your initial backlog of, of what do you want to uh, focus on first? What learning do you want to focus on first? What experiments do you want to run first? And uh, a part of that exercise, actually the, the idea is to, to try to visualize the likeliness and, uh, and the potential impact of the of that of that potential risk sometimes you have a tendency to come in and say oh these are the six or seven things that you have to accomplish in, in sprint zero but that's almost like telling the team what they need to do but i i know i know you have a technique where you actually flip the flip the role and you ask the team you know what goals do you want to achieve over the next two weeks under these categories like architecture design and so on that's been a pretty effective technique as well yeah, the, like like one of the one of the big big things that that I, I like to to do with every team, especially to set the tone at the beginning, that agency is important, and and owning our own decisions are super important. And I think I think that uh, that exercise where they they set their own goals and they and they and then they create their own tasks and their own uh, own uh, work items for the for the sprint zero is already setting sets the tone that yes, this is an autonomous team. We can do this together, and 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 I found it pretty uh, pretty effective to to start having these conversations early in the team is probably the best time to start instilling the best technical practices early on because once you start slipping, it's very hard to pull up the reins much later in the game. Ah, uh, yes, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I I think starting to instill those technical practices is one thing, but I also think letting them storm from a coding perspective, is really important as well. And what I mean by that is bring their own styles, their own experiences, their own backgrounds, because there's going to be conflict in that. There's going to be conflict in that, uh, uh, you know, I've used this API or this framework in this way. Somebody else has used a little bit different way. And the way that I have found to try to accomplish all of those things is to really have the team mob almost 100% 100% of the time that they're writing code during this this early stage. Because what happens via mobbing, first of all, is those differences get out on the table very, very quickly. Uh, we also uh, start to right away learn from each other. And then as we're talking about things like test-driven development or whatever it might be, any, any practice that, that we want to introduce, 
the team can kind of bring their own experiences about that and hopefully uh, help each other through whatever learning curve might be. So again, I think that that letting that, I, I call it code storming, happen as, as early as possible is, is, is ideal and have that happen well before we actually get into delivering product every day because code storming at, at that stage uh, ha- could have a negative effect. Yeah, and it, it doesn't have to be separate necessarily from from that first really thin slice that we're trying to implement. We can use that to uh, to do that code storming, as you say, cheesy. However, when we're doing that, of course, there is this additional pressure of trying to get something done. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw one other technical thing out, uh, which is that that over time, there are going to be a lot of things that, that the new team may need to learn or understand. And tackling too much up front will, will, will just frustrate the team members and, and uh, overwhelm them. And, let, let me, and some examples of that might be, for example, when we think about all of the non-functional type of testing that we might want to do, like security, performance, accessibility, et cetera, et cetera. And, and you know, so if we layer on 25 things uh, in their first couple of days that we say, here's 25 things, learn all of these. Uh, it, it, it's quite easy for the team members to just become completely overwhelmed. So I think it's okay to say, hey, you know, here are 25 things that we're eventually going to have to tackle. But because we're just coming together, because we're getting started, here's the four or five most important ones. And let's really focus on these and learn them well. And then as we get good at those, we'll start to layer in some of the other ones. Uh, I've just had experiences in the past where a new team comes on and and team members from that that are from other teams that have been around a while come in and they say, here's all of these things that you have to to learn day one. And the team becomes so overwhelmed with all of that, that that they're not able to actually do anything or or have any successes during that 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 early stage. And I would much rather make them aware of those but say, but let's not worry about all of these at this time. Let's focus on getting that success, getting something all the way out. And we'll start to layer these in over time. Uh, cheesy. Uh, one thing I, I, I saw you do, and um, and if you want to talk a little bit more about that, the way when you come into a team and set the expectations about quality. Yeah. I mean, so if, if a team has not worked in a continuous deployment or continuous deliveries uh, team in, in, that, in that way before, then, then they, they might have a lot of preconceived ideas around how things are going to work, you know, about – you know, especially if they've worked in places where there is this quality handoff, where where you have developers who build something and they hand it off to somebody else. So I, th- I think it's really important up front to set the expectation that, hey, you as a developer, you are accountable for the quality for what you build. You know, nobody else is. And the way that you demonstrate that this thing that you're building actually works is you demonstrate it with tests and that, that you help them know and understand and take ownership of that up front. Management theories come and go, frameworks come and go, but but one that has kind of stuck with me uh, a little bit has been the whole idea of radical candor. Basically, it says like, don't talk behind people's back, but instead give them feedback face to face in a in a proper way. Doing some sort of a you know some games or exercises where people are able to exercise radical candor or some sort of strong feedback 
with each other is kind of important because if we're able to establish those trust uh, that early on, it, it can probably pay off for the for the duration of the team. Yeah. Uh, let me just jump in here and say that radical candor, by the way, is not something new. It, it's part of XP. It's just that they called it the XP values at that time. And it had things like courage, communication, respect, which was really about, you know, making sure that, that we have the courage to be honest with each other and the respect to tell somebody how we feel, you know, and, and, and that constant communication. So, and I couldn't agree more. It, it's very important to have that right up front. And again, this, these are some values that you could set uh, right up front during that initial stage with the team. But see, Cheesy, Radical Candor got a four box in there. Kim Scott basically put a visual framework on top of exactly what Cheesy is saying. It, it's, a, it's a complete analogy of like how a programmer thinks versus how a management consultant might think. A programmer just wrote the stuff down, exactly the same thing in a bunch of paragraphs. And somebody took the exact same concept and made a four box out of it and sold it for millions. I just want to share one one technique that that um, sometimes this, this actually comes up in very, very early, and it's about providing feedback. And I would like to share this this technique because I find it uh, fairly fairly effective, especially when when teams come together. So often what happens is is when when somebody makes a mistake, we tend to we tend to just say, "Well, you did this or this is this is what I saw that you did or or something along the way. And uh, and one technique that that could help it could be used as part of radical candor, but in the but in the same time could take off the edge of defensiveness is by by stating the impact by stating the impact of of what that thing what happened was impact on me. It's actually called impact feedback. So in this particular case, I'm not going to say, well, you checked in that code and that broke the build. I'm going to say. Well, when I came in the morning, the broke was bil- uh, was broken, and I had to stay late or I had to do something extra, right? And it's very, very hard to argue with that. It's very, very hard to argue if something has an impact on me, and it can help to have a more constructive conversation about how we solve the problem versus who actually caused it in the first place. And that concludes this edition of the Continuous Delivery Podcast. Goodbye. <laughs>